Hello and welcome everyone to uh, a very special edition of uh, ESPN Cricket Info's uh, Switch It podcast. I'm not Alan Gardner, as you have noticed. I'm uh, this is Usman Samindeen, uh, and we've got, uh, like I said, a very special guest today with us. Uh, you will have heard a lot about him. Um, he's a former Under-19 England Under-19 captain, uh, and you know, but you you will know more about him from the last couple of years as probably uh, the central figure in in the racism storm kind of in- engulfing the game in the UK, especially. Um, he's become over the last couple of years, uh, you know, uh, an anti-racism campaigner for the game in 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 many ways. And uh, like I said, at, at the center of a lot of debate that is happening, you know, it was his his kind of uh, he 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 whistle blew. I guess he was a whistleblower uh, on on the racism he had suffered at Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Um, and and we've got him in the we've got him on the on the podcast today. Uh, welcome, Azim, to the show. Uh, I'm I'm going to get right into it. Really, now it's been two years now since you know you went you went public with. Uh, with your experiences at, at Yorkshire, I remember, I think it was August 2020 that you first gave that interview to Taha at Wisden. And then, you know, you spoke to other people, Sky and then George as well at, at when he was at Cricinfo. This is this is a big question, I guess. But what do you feel you have lost in those two years, in, in the two years that we've we've had? Well, um, before I get into it, like normally, as I've spoken about this, it's become easier for me to talk. But your first question is going to... Th- Get me emotional straight away. I think it's hard to quantify. Um, I think I've lost. Um, I think I've lost a lot of sanity. Um, I think I've lost a lot of peace within myself. Um, I think, um, but I think uh, my family and what they've been put through mm. is. Um, Unquantifiable at this stage. Um, yeah, you you were absolutely probably for the first time for months while talking about this. Um, have got me quite, yeah, quite um, emotional. It's hard to say, and I think fundamentally lost my home um, and lost. Parts of me as a person. Yeah, I mean, do you, you know, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to kind of for it to hit you so hard. You know, I, I just, I just because it, you know, you've clearly been through so much, and you're, you're, in a way, you've become like the individual at the center of this, you know, bigger, bigger fight, right? It's, it's a much bigger issue that is there in society, and you've become such a like a lightning rod for it, you know, and 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 that, like, I imagine it just which is why I asked this question, is that it just takes a lot out of you. Like, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine how much it would have taken out of the person. Like, you, you know, you're the guy at the center of the storm. And so everyone else, the storm affects everything else, but but also you, right? Because you're, it affects you the most because you're right at the center of it. I can't even imagine. So, which is why I kind of asked that question. Let me let me put it another way. Like, do you now, do you, do you see an end in sight to this at all? Uh- no, this is the thing. I, I I don't, and that's that's concerning. Uh, that's worrying. Um, I just don't see an end. Um, you know, I, you know, when I first spoke out, I honestly thought we will be having a conversation. Uh, and for me, it was I wanted a few answers to my uh, jigsaw, to my puzzle. You know why? You know, one of the biggest things that I think will probably always let be left unanswered because. Um, I think the the director of cricket that put me through this 
um, I, um, will never have the courage to uh, um, to actually ever answer it. As one of the biggest answers I wanted was, why did I get treated the way I got treated around the loss of my son? Mm. Why on the first day back was it was so important for basically for me to be brought into a room and rip the shreds off me. And they were answers that I wanted. And then most importantly, I just wanted to make sure that this never happened to anyone ever again. Um, and, you know, I wanted to release trauma on myself. I've arguably created more trauma. You know, I feel like I've been pushed to do more every time. Every time, the more, I, every time I open my mouth, I'm creating trauma. Every time I put my head above the parapet, I'm, you know, I'm making my future worse for myself. But it's become, you know, after select committee, there was so much hope. And uh, I'm an optimist and I still live in hope that things will get better for everyone. But, you know, I, I'm going to be unapologetically uh, keep calling out the fact is uh, and the game and large sections of the games and that this ranges right from the players uh, to the coaches to the administrators and to the leaders within uh, cricket there's a large part of cricket and sorry and sections of the press there is large parts of the game that needs this to be me as a troublemaker me as the problem uh, because it implicates a lot of them um, and you know I, I don't see an end because there is that sorry and an acceptance of things not being right um, and, you know, wanting to do things in a better way doesn't, this, they seem to be really difficult things for people to do, which personally, you know, I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect. Uh, you know, you, you apologize genuinely and then you learn and then you try and make sure that people learn from your mistakes and don't make your mistakes. And I'm not sure that's a lot to ask for, but it seems within cricket, especially um, there's a lot of big egos that are more intent on, um, you know, keeping the, as a, uh, the status quo or, um, and do, uh, I'll go a little bit further. Clearly they don't want cricket to become the game for everyone. You know, it, I was reading one of your first, the first one of the first interviews you did on this. I, I think it may have been the Taha one uh, on Wisdom when you said that, or maybe it was with George actually. But you said that you couldn't forgive yourself if you didn't stand up and raise a voice about this, right? One, the first thing was, you know, just give us. I mean, we kind of know, but give us a little bit of background about why you chose to do it. Then I know there was like circumstances building into it. And two, following from that, did you ever? At that point, when you said that I want to raise my voice about this, did you ever think that it would come to the two years that you've had? Like, did you ever think that raising your voice would put you through so much trauma and so much stress in, in, in those two years? Yeah, I mean, you, you can see the cost to me. Um, and, you know, I would arguably say the cost of not speaking up was way worse. Yeah. I don't think, um, you never know, but I, I don't think I would be here um, if I hadn't spoken up, and that that was the cost for me because the you know a lot a lot of the things that I have been put through around 2018 and and before mm. it as a as you can, obviously I'm a very emotional person, but you know my family sacrificed a lot for my cricket and. They thought I was living a dream. 
just bear with me. No, no, take your time. Take your time. I th- and I think the cost of not speaking up was just too much. Uh, so I think someone had to do it. Um, the second part of your question, just remind me. Well, I was going to say that, you know, when you when you decided to do it, did you yeah, ever three. think that it would get this intense for you and your family? No, look, not at all. I mean, I didn't know what select committee was. Um, the one thing I had in my mind was that I would have to take a step um, for to, for me to be heard and for everyone to know everything. That will uh, damage me and that will make my life really difficult. But did I think that I would have to leave the place that I've called home for 21 years? No. Did I think my family would be targeted in the way they have? No. But I think all it does is it proves, it continues. What people that are doing a lot of this stuff is don't realise, they're continuing to prove my allegations by their actions. You know, I've been I've been vindicated over and over again in processes that have been rigged against me because there'd be no choice but uh, for them to hold up the central allegations, right? Yet these people, you know, certain sections of the press, you know, um, certain individuals, you know, I've had messages. I've had messages. This is how arrogant and how messed up this whole situation is. I have had messages of intimidating and threatening messages from commentators. I've had, you know, I've had from uh, high-profile individuals, uh, administrators who have control, who have been in charge at different stages. And, you know, it's been, like, difficult to see that. But then you've seen that in action with the stuff happening around my family house. And, yeah, I mean, thing is, it's been... Two and a half, it's been over two years now since uh, the first piece, and I just don't see an end in sight. And you know, regardless of what it's taking out on me, I've got full trust in Allah. You know, I'm not, um, they ain't gonna scare me, they ain't gonna push me back, they ain't gonna stop me. Uh, because this now, as I said, the, the trauma before speaking out was large, but what it is now is unexplainable and no human being no human being should have to go through what um me and my family continue to be put through and you know i hear oh you're so brave you saw this we're with you we're with you the blah 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 and then you see action and you see you see her you see you know people um you know i mean in terms of people saying one thing, doing another, you know, you see how system, uh, I'd go as far as to how system would do anything to divide and rule. And there's been attempts of that. Um, and, you know, ultimately, the truth ain't going to hide. Um, so, yeah, it's been two years and I think it'll be probably continue to be another two. Would you, would you, looking back on it now and knowing what you've gone through, uh, and everyone around you has gone through. Would you make the same choices now that you did two years ago? Absolutely, absolutely. I, there's not a day, there's not a day where I think oh, I wish I didn't do it. Um, absolutely. I I wish I hadn't been pushed to do as much as I've been done uh, as I've had to do. I wish there was better admi- uh, better administrative at Yorkshire. I bet I wish there was better leaders within the ECB. Uh, you know, I wish there were better leaders within the PCA. I wish 
I wish it hadn't got to what it has. Um, and I wish my worry is, and you know, I've had phone calls from people after my select committee, and the same organizations are doing the same things, hoping that it doesn't get to the same. And there, there might not be another person that goes as far as I've done. There might not be. Uh, but what my point is, is there any transparency around this issue? Is there any real willingness to deal with it? Is there any real, real willingness to bring solutions, proper solutions, and actually make sure that proactively we stop this um, for the future? Um, and I, at this stage, I don't think there is. You, you know, you, you've announced just a couple of days ago, you announced a new book, your, your first book kind of coming out documenting i would imagine documenting what the last two years have been like plus i'm sure your early life and early career you know you're doing that with george Gabell. looking forward to that very much comes out next may um what kind of what what was the thought process behind wanting to do that yeah look the book the book was initially the idea of a book was floated to me way before select committee uh, uh because you know doing everything and literally not being heard and it was sort of you know, it was going to be my way to just talk about everything that is now already out. Uh, um, that was the initial sort of, but then the select committee happened and then there was hope. There was, you know, you heard all the right things. There was mm. real hope that things would, uh, but over the last year, the things that have happened and, you know, people have heard a lot of the central stuff. I think people need to know some of the side stuff, uh, some of the little stuff on a daily basis, you know. The impact um, is far greater than the few interviews I've done. Um, and, you know, the impact on the family, um, you know. And also, you know, there's been a lot of people, in my opinion, that have uh, behaved in a manner that needs to be held accountable. But just because they're not big names, have not even come to the fore. Uh, you know, there is there is my ex-colleagues, um, you know, my uh, people I shared dressing rooms with, you know, people I have uh, played cricket with since the age of 12, you know, people uh, have, you know, my mum used to, you know, our culture, mum used to cook food for these people. They've stayed at my house, you know, one person turned up at my son's, uh, when, my, when I lost my son. Uh, so, you know, the, the real people of that dressing room um, and the way they've behaved, um, obviously leading up to that but what the way they've behaved over the last four years the last uh yeah four five years since i first mm. raised it internally and then the last two uh you know there's a lot of people that have got um interesting uh reality to the world um and i think um that reality is not the same and i i, I think it's important for me as a the book was a massive thing for me as a human to get a lot of my uh, feelings uh, out there but also it's one of that gives hope to other people um that with perseverance we can change things and also you know this space and institutional racism within society within britain is rife you know and i've had phone calls across industries and i mean it's been and how how much hurt there is, how much people are suffering and continue to be put through. Um, and, you know, as I said at Select Committee, I want to become the voice for the voices because I was, I was lucky to have people like George, you know, people like James Butler, mm. who are in my corner 
you know, um, my incredible, incredible barrister, Jennifer Robinson, uh, and my incredible uh, PR person who really became, who's become more, who's become a counsellor and a friend more than a PR person because he can't, <laughs> I don't listen to, to him. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and it's them people. And I, I really want uh, to talk about the good people in this and cool. also, and also a focal part of this will be also the difficult conversation the other way. Um, and I, I think it's just, it's, look, it's going to be full of very, very challenging conversations. Um, it's going to be about, uh, of course, uh, when I'm talking about some of my experiences, it's going to be about some, some of my um, ex-teammates. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a difficult read. Uh, but I just hope it resonates uh, and it gives power to a normal the street, a normal woman off the street, um, to go. You know what? It doesn't matter how small my voice is. I'm going to have my voice heard. You know, the CDC hearings are at the end of this month, uh, yeah. November. They will be, as far as we know, for now, they will be public. That's what the ECB have said that they've made them public. Uh, why have you constantly pushed for public hearings? Because there's also a flip side to them, right? There is a danger to public hearings where, you know, people don't want to come forward because they feel like I don't want my kind of privacy out there. But what, just explain the reasoning why you kind of pushed for a public forum like that. Yeah, look, I've, as I said, I've been vindicated in the Squire Patton Boggs uh, investigation, which was heavily, heavily rigged against me. It didn't speak to people that were supporting me, uh, yet they couldn't go away from the fact that the uh, you know, my central allegations were proven. Mm. There was no no question that I was a victim of racial harassment and bullying. And they decided to take the third bit out and not even judge on it. We know why. Um, you know, Equality Human Rights Commission have looked at it and said likely unlawful activities taking place. The DCMS have looked at the uh, stuff and, you know, they've uh, vindicated me. The governing bodies uh, gone through it and charged people and the club and... Yet I continue to get a section, a large section of the cricket community, and a large uh, and a section of the press that just want to do, just want to attack me left, right, and centre. And the coordinated campaign of lies that we've had to deal with for the last year has been has been absurd. And it will, I will go into that room. If say if it was private, I would have gone into that room, and I would have been totally and utterly vindicated again. But what would that have done to my life? It nothing. It would have continued. Certain sections of the press would have continued. You know, people would have continued in that same manner. So, is there really an end? And you know, transparency is a big thing for me. Look, the flip side. You talk about witness uh, other people coming forward. The hardest thing that public hearing will be is for me. Mm. And and people get lost in that. You know, I've got nothing to hide. But the hardest thing that will be for will be for me. But I need this to end. I need people, to, there needs to be a transparency and an end for everyone. So I can actually put my energy into doing positive stuff around this space, right? Um, and that was my thing. And I've been very clear from the offset. I've been clear through the two years. I've been clear when I met the ECB. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the thing for me, that it really needs to come to an end. And for me, that can only happen if it's public. Mm. It, where the public sees everything and because you know it needs to be fully transparent 
uh, and that needs to happen for this to end. And that was my view. Uh, and I'm glad at this stage uh, that that's how it's been seen. The logistics and stuff around that, um, I, I am not aware of at this stage. But for me, it's very important that it's properly public. I mean, it sounds almost like, you know, your push for it, for them to be public comes, I guess, from having been burnt by the system a few times, right? In these inquiries, which are always private, information doesn't come out, information gets leaked selectively. And it, it feels like, it, you know, part of it's coming out from that. You're, you're saying that, look, it's going to happen. Let's get it all out there because I don't want to have like, you know, selective kind of attacks happening on me or, you know, vice versa, whatever. But you would rather have it all kind of out there. But that, that's exactly. And, you know, I, I would hope every sensible person would understand why I've got no trust in anyone. Uh, I would hope that any sensible person, uh, I have got absolutely no trust in the system. I've lost trust in human beings. I've lost trust in, uh, I struggle to trust my own shadow right now I've, so for me as you say you know it needs to be once and for all it needs to come to an end and I, I that's the only way I see it coming to an end um and that, that yeah that's where my reasoning for it to be public has come from is that do you I mean do you even at this by this stage do you even have any kind of expectations or or hope from the hearings like or are you just going in with a like well you know let's see what happens so much has happened well, in two years who knows? You know, I even before the swipe, Pat and Boggs, there was people who said to me, "This will be, it'll be rigged, it'll be against you." And I, I don't, I don't have any hope in any organization or any human being within this space. Um, I really don't. But my view has always been is, I will share everything, and I will let them come to a decision. And if, if there is any way that it's been the stuff is not being uh, dealt properly i will call it out but fundamentally first i will give them all the information um and then and then it come to a decision uh, from there but yeah um i i don't really have any hope whatsoever yeah it, it emerged recently you know there were reports uh which i i think are confirmed that you're essentially you know you're you're moving your family away from here for a while just because you're concerned about their just just talk a little bit about that because that must have been a difficult decision for you. You you came over to England from Pakistan when you were ten, I think, right? Is that right? About yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 quite it's been a scary decision. Mm. It's been I've been umming and ahhing ever since the select committee because the it's been relentless. You know, local people, especially the masks, have well and truly come off. But you know, the, there's been. It's, it's just come to a point where I've been umming and ahhing for a while and then um, there was another incident at my parents' house sort of, I think it was now five, six weeks ago and I just thought, you know, I can't continue to risk my family safety. Uh, I've put this cause right at the forefront of my life. It's been 24-7, relentlessly uh, uh, driven uh, from me and people close. Like, I've had no choice but you know, I'm a small voice um, against some of the strongest people within the game of cricket has ever had, you know. Um, and so I, it's been relentless for me. But there came a point where that latest incident, maybe, you know, I'm, I don't want it to go too far before there's big regret. And I, I genuinely, I fear for my life right now. I really do. I, you know, especially locally here in Barnsley, 
I walk around. I mean, I mean, I'm fortunate since the latest incident. I've been provided by for, I've been provided 24/7 security by the ECB, uh, and credit where credit's due, and I want to thank them for that. But I, it's been um, it's been difficult. I, I I do I genuinely do because I know uh, there's a lot of people uh, that, as I said at the start of this conversation, that are implicated within this, and I think if the, they haven't already realised. Um, I worry for them because, uh, that I will not step back and, um, you know, I will make sure that um, there is a level of accountability. But also, I want my kids, I want my son and daughter to play cricket. Mm. You know, I want them to play cricket I, because, um, you know, it's, it's been my love. You know, anyone that follows me, even a slight little bit, is I have lived and breathed cricket since I could move. You know, when I was in Pakistan, to mm. when I moved, literally all I know and all I love, and the thought of um, my kids not doing that is actually it breaks me. It is it's really difficult, and but also I'm a parent. No way would I want my kids to carry mental scars the way I carry them. You know, I've watched my dad really, really. I've watched him struggle to see his son the way I am. Mm. I, I don't want to do that one with my kids so yeah it's, it is a difficult thing but you know I would I think I've been left with no choice at this point and but just to be very clear I will be backward and forward yeah. I will be back for uh, the select committee the hearing um and and all the other things I uh, it's just to take the heat of my family for a, a period of time Sorry, one of the I found really interesting. You just said now you struggled. Your father struggled to see you the way you are. Is that is that? Can you just expand? I found that really interesting. That what, what you were saying there. Yeah, I mean, like my my dad. My dad said to me, you know, in our language, So, you know, that's yeah, been so difficult to watch. Um, and and, yeah. and you don't want your children to kind of go through that, or you don't want to see your children in that position ever. Oh, absolutely not. Sure. You know, uh, you, like we are right now probably living in the most polarized time that a lot of us have ever seen in, in the world, not just in England, but even in England, but everywhere else. You know, it's, it's real polarization. It's either you're on one side or you're the other. And and you're, you're you know, you're like a center of attention in this in this moment, in this polarized moment. Have you like... Have you sensed that that has changed over the last, I, I'd say, 10, 15 years? I know you've had your own experiences, which have you know carried on for a while of, of racism. But have you seen the, the kind of country around you change over the last sort of, sort of 10 years you've been here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, look, this is the thing when, I, when I'm when i speaking, and I've been fortunate to do some uh, speaking stuff, and is we're actually, all we're asking for a conversation, you know, all we're asking for is to be treated fairly. And you know we have we have become a society whether you're yes you're you're literally a yes man or you're literally uh, hate each other and there is no conversations that like you can't have a conversation where you agree one day and disagree uh, and you can still be uh, friends when when you disagree and that that is gone and I, you know we've seen that it's been and you know from a racism point of view what I've noticed is. So I've spoken to people in the 80s and 90s and mm. there's a lot of overt racism, you know. But now it's done in a manner where, oh, mate, you're taking it out of context. Oh, no, it wasn't meant like that. Or, you know, that's not racist. It's banter, you know. And 
there's a lot of and then there's a lot of stuff through in institutions it's like through processes procedures you know if you raise a stump i mean i i i honestly the only way i'm functioning is because of under because i i just can't understand how anyone will ever get to the point of being heard because you get pillar to pause pillar to pause you get absolutely you get gaslit you get you know you get um every part of you gets questioned um in and it's like of proof yet it's like oh no mate you're thinking too much or can we provide you some support you're struggling mentally and stuff like that and it's like no you know no and that's the difference i've seen is where in the 80s 90s uh, it was a lot more overt i think that's changed uh but my experience against a little bit unique in there but i think that's the sporting environments in my view are still living in the 80s mm. and 90s mm. where there's still a lot of overt as well because the arrogance of these people that they think that they can just say whatever they want or do whatever they want and get away with it is just absurd you know what one of the most fascinating things i found uh, at the when you were at the select committee hearing the dcms thing hearing which is over uh, uh, almost exactly a year now by the way it's been, it's been almost In... exactly a year since that yeah so one of the things i found most amazing there was it was really insightful actually you said that it, it it's really difficult to recognize racism like and and then when it hits you it's almost impossible to kind of not see everything through that light right when like when did you because you know i think at first you yourself thought you were the victim of bullying rather than actually racism yeah. right so when did it hit you that no this is what yeah. it is well, I mean, this is the thing, right? People, they are playing the risk and blah, blah, blah and all this. As a person of color, right, when you start believing that you've been treated differently because you're a race of your religion, it breaks you in the manner that nothing else can. It be, it literally gets you because you, you start seeing everything like that, right? And, you know, it breaks you. You start questioning yourself, your own sanity and stuff. It, it really does. and for me i like you know for a long period i was on citalopram since 2013 you know struggling not knowing why i'm struggling and taking antidepressants you know and 2017 even then first i reported it as bullying mm -hmm. before later on in 2017 um i sort of raised it uh, me and adele both raised it as um as sort of in a small conversation an informal conversation um, and it really hit me well and proper around the loss of my son. I, I, there was no way I could, I'd been looking the other way, like we all do. You know, it, it's all our lives. It's every person of color's life. And, you know, some are, even the ones that will say, oh, yeah, oh, I've, even the ones that will say, oh, I've not experienced it, will still say, but, you know, as an Asian, uh, you've got to be t two times, uh, you've got to be uh, twice uh, better than everyone else. Well, hello, that institutional racism, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's, it's, um, it is a difficult thing. And, you know, some people will try and not see it to protect their own sanity. Um, but the ones that really, really are ruining our society are the ones that sit on the other side, knowing full well it's happening to benefit out of it and there's a lot of them um and that's where i think that's where a lot of the damage is being done um and that's the uncomfortable conversation that i will be having in the book the other way there, there's a, you know there's a <laughs> there's a great desire in this country i think 
it happens, everything is done through box, box ticking. So like, you know, you have like DNY, DNI initiatives and like management at various places. All, all they will say is that, oh yeah, we, you know, we've ticked off this box because we've got a person of color on this team. We've got a person of color on that team. We're done. It, it's not that, right? I mean, you, you can see why they want to kind of do it. And maybe, maybe in some places the intention is correct. But it, it goes far beyond that, right? Because it's not just a question of box ticking. Well, this is a frustrating thing, right? And you've seen it, and um, you know, you've seen it recently uh, with, um, you know, the cricket Scotland stuff is uh, mm. and the new the new chair coming in, right? And the lack of due diligence done on his appointment is is absolutely uh, like, and I've only been made aware of this in the last week, right? But. The guy has close close association or or has had close to Nigel Farage, right? So the lack of due diligence done. So was the situation there is well, we found a brown person, we found a person of color, that's going to clear up our reputation. Let's bring him in. And I, I'm sorry for me for well, I'm un, unapologetically going to say well, actually, I'm. Starting to see a little well because the lack of protection. I, obviously, uh, after me, a lot of people have spoken up, right? Mm -hmm. And lack of protection for the whistleblowers just shows. And, and obviously, recently, I've had a little bit in terms of security and stuff. But up there in cricket school, and I'm watching the lads' families being families' photos being put on Twitter. You know, their uh, kids being targeted, being talked about, and I've seen it get rid like really sick and disgusting. And Cricket Scotland has a duty of care. And there seems to be, in my view, not really an interest to perform that duty. Uh, and, you know, like the lack of due diligence. And that stuff can do more damage than good. The box ticking, for me, does more damage than good. You know, as leaders, you're going to get things wrong in this conversation. Mm. And that's fine. And that's yeah. fine. As long as the intention and the will is there. Right? But you've got to be brave both ways right and my view is that and i think the ecb has done that since the select committee it's just run to the quickest pr that we can find and let's gloss over what's happening right at the top if we're really going to root this out um we have to go further and look at solutions in a different manner to what have been done in the last five six years uh in society in this country because for the last five six years i think the conversations become um, harder to have, I think it's become way because a lot of it, in my view, is because of um, some of the box ticking stuff uh, that happens. And there, the one thing, you know, I've met some amazing people through this journey in the last year. There is some amazing people doing some selfless work, but they don't get recognized. But community and faith organizations who all the interest lies at is getting funding and being protection for the system seems to be thriving in this space. And that's the uncomfortable conversation I will be having in detail. Uh, you know, one of the more, most harrowing kind of incidents you detailed, I think it was in uh, at the, the Leeds Employment Tribunal that you were sitting on uh, Yorkshire some time back and, and you detailed this incident. And you may have said it at the DCMS hearing as well about how you were forced to drink when you were 16 at Barnsley Cricket Club, you were forced to drink red wine. Um, what, would, what do you say to a 16-year-old now, 16-year-old Asian kid who's at a club? What do you tell them? How do, how do you avoid something like that? Because the peer well, pressure is so intense, right? Well, I, no. So, I mean, I said it at DCMS. As a 15-year-old, I got 
pinned in a car and poured red wine down my throat. Um, you know, um, and you know, I I look back and if I'd have told my dad there, then I would have never played cricket again. You know, and uh, and actually, this is quite an interesting topic that uh, again, I can't go into too much detail at this stage, but it's been interesting the 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 whole situation around that from when I first raised it, which was on the 13th of November, uh, when I had my first Squire Pattern Boggs interview, we did a press release and I raised it then. And then obviously I raised it at the select committee and how the individuals have handled that and how the safeguarding around that has been handled. Uh, when people hear that, um, I think there is going to be a lot of... Um, it's going to be a big shock to people when they hear how that has all been handled uh, and the in, and the attempt that that's been made uh, to cover that up and try and turn that round where actually uh, it didn't happen type thing is just staggering. Uh, but wow. what I say to a 15-year-old, you know, I would say to any parent now, and I'll continue to say this because I'm a parent, is you have to keep an eye on your kids in recreational sport, in professional sport, but especially rec because for me, recreational sport, um, adults are in charge of kids who don't know how to behave around kids. Uh, and I think safeguarding around recreational sport is something that needs to be looked at with way bigger lenses than it is because uh, there is far too many people that are allowed to carry on in that space who uh, should not be anywhere near kids. Uh, what's your experience been like of, of the support or otherwise from, from the British Asian community themselves? You know, what, what the little experience that I have sometimes, and of course, you know, I'm not speaking of them as a homogenous community, far from it. But I, I do know that there is a tendency sometimes for, for British Asians to tell ourselves that, oh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nothing. Just work twice as hard or, just, you know, just get over it. It's not that. There, or, or that he's making too big a deal out of it. You know, some incident happened and you're making too big a deal out of it. I don't know if you've ever, if you've come across kind of attitudes like that from within the community itself. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's part of my wider conversation the other way. But I mean, um, I, I, I don't want to pull everyone in one because there's been snippets of incredible support. Okay. Snippets of incredible, but. A large part of um, of the community, um, and you know, there's this there's this colonial mindset a little bit here as well. You've got this uh, sort of, as I said, I can I can deal with people that um, are sort of fearful and just want, to, but there is the ones that side on the side of the system to benefit their individual needs, um, and I don't I don't want to like go into this. This mm. is this probably the conversation of the book that I, um, I I am sort of I think is very important and close to me because it will be my it will be my sort of hope it will be my um, request to our new generation our younger generation to ask questions of our leaders um, because some of our leaders uh, are nowhere near doing enough for us. And as a community, uh, we don't, uh, you know, we don't ask them and challenge them enough uh, for what they're doing for us. Um, and it, like I said, I, it will be my sort of um, 
in a way, I'll be pleading to mm. our nation to say, we've got to change this and we can only change this for our kids if we get together um, in, in obviously in a lot more detail. Just the last couple of questions now, uh, Azim. You know, some anti-Semitic messages from you, historic anti-Semitic messages from 2011 came out. Uh, and they came out right after the DCMS, I think, select committee hearing. How, how did that change things for you? I mean, you know, you, you were on one path, obviously, until then. And suddenly this came out and it, it would have been a reminder to you of, you know, imperfections that all of us humans have. How has that changed things for you uh, in, in the year since? Well, I mean, look, when this, and I want to be clear, I don't see this as part of the coordinated campaign of lies. This is a mistake I made. Okay. And rightly so, I should be held accountable. And I have been, and I will continue to hold myself accountable for that. When it came out, and I remember it straight away, I felt sick to my stomach. And it wasn't for me because there had been people that had supported me and sacrificed and put their neck on the line for me. Um, and And also, I'd been saying for two years, if I was a Jewish kid, I would not be left on so on my own. I would have had the support uh, of the Jewish community because I, I think the way they stick together, the way mm. they rally around uh, and stick together is an absolute example to any minority groups, uh, right? So, and it was, um, but I, my view was, all I asked of people was apologize, accept, have a conversation and let's do more to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, and I said to my team straight away, look, this is going to be uncomfortable for me, but actually for the cause itself, I think it's actually great. Another minority group gets involved and if they wanted to brush it under the carpet, they won't be able to in a few weeks time because there is another, uh, you know, uh, group involved in it. And I'm going to apologize, but that won't be the end. I'm going to make sure that I go ground level, meet people, hmm. you know, Understand because my com I didn't know there was a connotation behind what I'd said, you know, at, until I went to the Jewish Museum. Okay. I I had no idea about the Holocaust um, till I met uh, a Holocaust survivor. You know, I I literally have just played cricket all my life without uh, knowing uh, the history, but and th and that made me go. You know, I need to understand the people that I'm living around, and it's so for me to be able to understand what. And then I, obviously I've tried to do things and there's been some stuff has been publicly because organizations have wanted that and uh, and a lot has been not public as well. But my view is that, you know, you apologize, you accept, and then you, you go and do more to make sure that firstly that the apology is, you know, and you know, it's, it's for when you apologize, it's not for me to decide uh, whether I get forgiven or it's for the victim to decide when, mm. if ever. And, you know, there'll be people out there, Jewish people out there that will never forgive me. And they're well within their right to do that. Right? Well within their right. Because I said something that uh, that hurt them, you know. And I've I've seen, I've gone to the, I've gone to Auschwitz and I've seen the true, you know, the, the real evil of discrimination. Mm. But that starts with these comments so yeah from my point of view, um yeah i wanted to apologize and i hope i've been able to do that and i will continue to do that I, I guess it's been it's been as much as anything it's also been educational for you right and it's probably informed the stances and your thinking since then about your own case in a way i guess right because it's probably shone some kind of light on the whole the whole idea of discrimination and then systemic discrimination i i, I don't know has, has it kind of been formed or changed in any way or 
I mean, look, I, I, I didn't, my, my, I don't know why I said that. Mm. You know, I didn't know. I think it came from uh, a lack of, um, well, spending time with uh, Jewish people, really. Because if I'd known that there was uh, a connotation behind it, I would say that I wouldn't have said it. But uh, for me, it's been educational. But also, you know, I, for me, I've, I've been very, very clear that this is not about, um, you know, cancelling people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You but just start having these conversations, you know, ed- building our education and come together as a society and um, a lot more. And that, for me, will start to build respect for each other's um, everything, you know, differences and uh, similarities. Uh, but I, my, my biggest worry is that sport and cricket in particular just doesn't want to do that. Yeah, one of the things you've mentioned in the past, actually, and, and it's heartening, actually, it's a really positive thing that some of the some of the some of your colleagues or contemporaries have come and apologized to you after they kind of realized, you know, what they had. Just talk a little bit about that, because that must have been fairly kind of, I guess it must have been validation, must have been affirming, must have been heartening to know that people can realize and, and, and come up and talk to you about it. Well, I've been I've been very clear, you know, that's all I want. And, you know, the apologies that I've had, I've taken them at face value. You know, it's not for me to decide whether they're genuine, not genuine, no. or what. That's what I love to decide. I, me personally, I've been very clear. If there's an apology and an acceptance and a willingness to do things in a different way, that's the end of it. Um. So yeah, and uh, you know, where I've had that, it's been, it's been on a human level, it's been really helpful. Um. And and you know, um, I just hope that as we move forward, that within our society we can get to a place where sorry i got it wrong uh i'm going to be better is not is not as difficult as it seemed to be for a lot of people just final question now do you do you see a future for yourself in cricket do you want to have a future in cricket i think if i'd be lying if i think that i have a future or i will be given an opportunity at any stage um you know I don't see cricket. You know, people say to you, oh, why don't you go to a different country and stuff like that? Cricket's very much a cartel. It's a very much a close community. You know, you've got people across. You'll have seen that over the week, uh, over the last few games. You know, there'll be there'll be people in Pakistan that uh, will just ride past uh, certain people's uh, racism when it comes to just cricket. Um, and that's what... So I think, uh, and as I said, I continue to be pushed to say more continue to be pushed so where that ends up I don't really know um would I like to I, I think I would at some point I think I would at some point I think I've got a lot to um I think I've got a lot to add uh, and that's not just from this subject um mm. you know I, I I feel like on a cricket and um I, I would back myself uh, to be able to um you know my one there was two things that I wanted to do before I spoke out was either coaching, uh, you know, and I've done my level four uh, pending uh, the final assessment, which collided with uh, select committee and uh, broadcasting. There was my two sort of um, passions uh, for once I finished, but I don't think the time is now. Um, and, you know, when, if, if time ever comes, um, the one thing I'm very clear is if people want me, they're going to have me as I am now. Um, I'm not prepared to... My... You know, there's been attempts. There's been attempts to buy my silence. 
Um, and that just ain't going to happen. So if cricket wants me, they're going to have me as me. If not, then I don't know what the future holds. Adeem, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm sorry it became emotional for you uh, at times. It wasn't the intention, but you know, it's, a, it's an emotive subject. So I guess we couldn't, we couldn't kind of avoid it. Thank you very much for your time. It's, it's, it's been a real pleasure.